welcome to Hacked in the Dark, the premier podcast network featuring Forged in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Mark Cleveland, and I'm here with four students, the creators of Subconscious Routine. We're going to talk about big games in small packages, or maybe just good-looking games that do cool things. <laughs> I guess I'll let y'all tell me about that. My name's Cohen, pronouns he, him, and I'm half of the team from poor students and i'm garrett my pronouns are he him uh, and i'm the other half of poor students ah so a two-person team it's great to have you both here uh, i'd really like to talk to each of you about your origin stories a little bit uh, i don't think any of our audience would probably know you from anything else i think this is our first real published thing out in the rpg space so yeah this is like the the beginning for us we have a couple of things running in the background at the moment but i don't think people have really seen too much of it you're quite active on the discord though cohen yeah i'm a, I'm around on the discord every so often yeah i've definitely seen you pop your head up and and speak up on other people's projects and talk about your own game now let's talk about what got you into designing tabletop games because i think that's a good place to start yeah i mean i think uh both garen and i are, are pretty young to the scene i would say i really started playing like your very traditional D&D or Pathfinder early on in high school. And I think a lot of us get to the point where we play these games and we want something that's a bit more narrative focused. And so uh, that's when I really looked into stuff that was like powered by the apocalypse and things like that. And then eventually that led onto me seeing uh, the... Blades in the Dark Kickstarter, reading through that and being like, oh, this game is so similar to Dishonored. And that's just a setting that I, I love. And so I ended up backing that and got the special edition of Blades in the Dark and have been running that every so often. And then I think Garrett and I sat down at some point, mainly over the catastrophe that was 2020, <laughs> <laughs> and, and looked at Blades in the Dark and thought, this would work really well as a magic school setting and i know that's not what we're going to be talking about today but, but that's really where we got started was working on a game a much bigger project than what we're talking about now and then just seeing like how can we change this game to be that and then i think that just got us moving in the sense of like designing things coming up with ideas looking at mechanics more critically yeah i think what has always inspired me is a further understanding of the game and learning more by developing games i i started out similar to cohen but much more recently i think i only started playing about three years ago and we were playing a, a different game called forbidden lands and i just wanted more types of characters i could play and so i just started designing types of characters that were nothing more than things i was going to bring to my dm and and ask him is this too broken uh, for me to play but then when, when we, we switched to playing Blades in the Dark and when we first sat down and said, hey, could this be something we could use? Like, could the Forge in the Dark system be something that we could use to design a new game? I was really excited because I loved the system and I loved the idea. Yeah, Excellent. So that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, it sounds like the two of you actually met through this game, through this shared interest in the hobby. Does that sound right? Well, we actually we actually work together. Uh, poor students does come from <laughs> our current situation. <laughs> so you're in school together. Yeah. Yeah. We're both doing PhDs, so we are definitely poor 
and also students. <laughs> poor due to massive debt, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I just I just liked the sound of poor student productions and burst out laughing uh, when Cohen first said it out loud and could think of no better name. That's usually the sign of a good name when you both bust out laughing. Yeah. But yeah. I think I, I remember we worked together, but we really met just one day when I saw Cohen wearing a Critical Role shirt and I asked him, hey, do you play tabletop RPGs? Do you want to play with us? Because I had a group who was actually looking for another player at that moment. And that kind of started us eventually uh, on this path that came down to designing Subconscious Routine. So now I have the honor to ask the question, uh, who was the GM? Oh, this is a, a, a separate friend from our group uh, who's named Albert. Yeah. Ah. Okay, so you were both players at the same table there in that game. That kind of solidified that you two have this shared hobby. And I think our characters had a nice relationship as well in that game. Oh, do you want to elaborate? Yeah, I was playing a dwarf who hated magic, and Cohen was playing a wizard. Yeah, who loved magic. <laughs> <laughs> who loved magic. And so just navigating that relationship between how long can Cohen's character pretend that they can't actually do magic and all the stuff they're doing is just really, really skilled before my character started realizing and getting angry and, and potentially causing strife or just interesting relationships within the party. Uh, and how does the story develop from there? And that, that was a lot of fun. Sounds like there's a little bit of overlap between the real life and the characters a little bit. Does this, <laughs> <laughs> does this happen to also play into how you two work together on this role-playing game? Is one of you sort of believe in the magic and the other one sort of not <laughs> yeah I, th I think it actually does really uh and i don't know if garen and i have discussed this previously but i'm usually coming up with these uh big mechanical ideas going like oh and if we could do x then we could also do y and i bring that over to garrett and garrett's usually like yeah but if we incorporate x it's probably going to break these three other systems that we're looking at as well and i'm like oh yeah okay i'll rethink this and come back I think that's one of the best parts about having this two-person design team where both of us respect each other's decisions and trust each other in, in what we come up with because we can always bounce ideas off of each other and neither of us are afraid to be really critical of those ideas and force each other to kind of think through what's proper and, and what fits in, but also think through how we can make this as fun as possible. Yeah, I think you really get, especially working with two people or even more in, in a small team, is that when one of you is excited about something and then you go and you tell that to the other person and the other person is equally as excited as you are about that idea, then you go, oh, this is actually something that we should pursue and move forward with. Yeah, I imagine that gives you a lot of confidence uh, in your decision making. And also this is, I would imagine, you know, I've, I've worked with other teams before, but recently I've been working mostly solo. So I'm a little bit interested. I'm, I'm like extra interested in this dynamic that you two have going on in this small team, because usually the teams I work with are so big. So this is interesting uh, to me. I'm sure our listeners will also be a little bit curious to know how the decision making really gets finalized is is it always group decisions between you two or is there sort of like a power dynamic at times depending on what it is i think depending on what section we have i feel like we have uh different authorship over different parts of the game but i like i don't think that that's split unfairly 
uh, a lot of the time it is just back and forth. Like, it'll be, does this idea look good? Does this character sheet look good? What things can change here? And it's a lot of just, like, iteration, but rather than doing that with yourself, you get to pass that on to someone else, uh, which I think is, is very good. Like, it's a bit hard to find the small things when you're just continuously looking at the same thing over and over again and being able to, like, look at different parts at different times or or shift design work about one thing to another person while you try and think of something else and doing that back and forth really helps. It also helps me while I'm making small decisions about what might go in the world building or how this mechanic is going to work to have someone who can separately step back and look at the big picture of what's going on. And so while I'm agonizing over these tiny details and then discussing with them the tiny details they can say yes this fits in or no this really doesn't go for the whole vibe that we're working on oh that makes a lot of sense to me so i guess you two came to some collective decision here that uh you you had something good uh with subconscious routine Let, let's talk about that game uh, what's the elevator pitch for subconscious routine yeah i just want to just before we jump into the elevator pitch just because this game is one page, if you're listening or have access to a phone or a computer, you should be able to go right now to tiny.cc slash subcon. So that's S-U-B-C-O-N. That takes you directly to the itch page. You can click download. You can click no thanks, take me directly to the downloads. And if you click on the colored PDF, you can look at what we're talking about right now. It's one page, super quick. You can see exactly what we're talking about. So I think that's like yeah. useful if you if you want to see what's going on. I definitely recommend that that they should listeners should go ahead and open that and have a look while we're uh, talking about the game if they they're so interested. Yeah, but as that elevator pitch is, subconscious routine is a micro RPG about a troop of bots on an overgrown Earth finding free will, and so you as your players will play as bots stuck in this pre-programmed loop, and you'll slowly break out of this loop in uh, our new post post apocalyptic setting. So post post uh, way past the uh, it, it's already been apocalyptic and we're already past that and it's even worse or it's open I guess no I I think it's 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 better and those are like the themes that I think we're trying to pull with uh, subconscious routine is that it's a game about hope and about regrowth I think that's an important point to make also that it seems to speak to where the game idea might have come from. Is this sort of an experience or more of like a mechanic that brought this about? Uh, I guess it sounds like the theme is really what's tying it all together. Can you talk about that? So we actually developed this as a submission to the Applied Hope Jam, which is a tabletop role-playing jam happening uh, right now or potentially finished by the time this is released. I'm not sure. And it gave some some just kind of vague ideas and and this main one was the idea of applied hope and cohen brought this to me and we both individually went to like uh separate design spaces by ourselves and said how can we come up with an idea that fits this theme of applied hope which kind of seemed really interesting but i wasn't really sure what to do with it at the start so i'll let cohen talk about his idea that he came up with because we kind of combined our ideas yeah so i think my pitch to garrett for this jam was a game in which your players played trees and you would act out scenes as these trees 
over the course of decades. So the goal would be like, there would be some randomly generated scene. You would watch that scene unfold and describe it between each other. And then you would roll a die and a number of decades would pass for you to see a new scene uh, and so on and so forth. And I thought this would be interesting because it's kind of like this regrowth of a tree and you also get to see like different scenes. You might follow a family or something like that. And I pitched this to Garrett and Garrett was like, I mean, it's a game about trees. <laughs> but Garrett's pitch to me, I think, w was much better. And then we could kind of combine these two ideas together. But I'll let Garrett pitch his one. So I, I had this idea about robots in an apocalyptic setting where it's already happened. The world has been destroyed or torn down or broken or whatever. And we've moved past that. And we're on to what do you do now? And the hope the, the hope that I was thinking about was, well, you would hope that you can regrow. You can have this world again, that it got destroyed, but it can grow out of the ashes. And from that, I, I had been thinking about like playing robots instead of humans. And so I was like, what if there's robots that are still left over and they are the ones that are going to populate this world now? And they're going to do that by finding free will rather than staying in these programmed versions of themselves that were previously used by whatever species were still there. And then this really led us to two main mechanics that I think we tied into this theme. And this is where that combination of these two pitches kind of comes in, is that these robots are pre-programmed. So it would be interesting to see how we could apply that theme into a game mechanic. And so we decided that the easiest way to do that would be to restrict the actions that you could roll. Your actions are pre-programmed. And then the other one with the tree is like, well, robots don't have to live a human life. They could live for decades and decades or even centuries. And so wouldn't it be interesting to be able to do actions, make these small changes in the world. And then one of the mechanics in our game allows you to reboot, which moves you forward a couple of decades and then you can see those results that have unfolded based on the actions that you took, you know, 50 years ago. And so combining these two things really gave us this theme of like robots who are restricted in what they can do, making these small changes and then seeing those small changes evolve over time. And the goal was to develop a game where you contribute, but also experience this, this regrowth and this, this rebirth of the world. Yeah, I really love that. The uh, way that consequences can be revealed, you know, just basically by rebooting and then, well, I guess there's a lot that happens while you're down, while you're, while yeah. you're, you're rebooting. That's an interesting way to bring that about. You know, it's, it's kind of like tough sometimes to imagine like, what, what does a robot really care about other than getting broken? But when you're playing as this robot trying to play, find free will, you know, it suddenly becomes really relevant, you know, what your actions are doing to the world around you. Yeah, and then theme-wise, this game really came from some art that I found as well. So, I mean, a really nice way to kind of show robots or program robots was to look at uh, coding as inspiration for the design of the game. And the game's one page, so uh, if you look at it, you can see these, like, highlighted texts, and on the, the character sheet side, which is the right side of the page, you can actually see like a spaced out character sheet that was inspired by coding. And I was looking for, for art for this project because I thought it would be interesting to have some background art on there. 
and I was scrolling through it, looking at free game assets, and I found uh, Eater's art. Eater is the artist that uh, we worked with for this game, and it was a perfect pixel art forest, and I thought, what, what suits this better than a forest, which is like this regrowth idea, and it being pixel art, which we all associate with computers and, and technology. And so we contacted Edda and we had a little bit of art commissioned as well, which is that TV that you'll see on the website and stuff. And we combine that all together into the, the character and rule sheet that is subconscious routine. I think this provides a really strong theme for your game. The way that it's communicated through the art and the color and the choice of how the text and everything flows, the rules themselves even are a reflection of this. What are some of the inspirations or touchstones for that? I mean, one of them that everybody says when they hear about the game, which was also kind of one of our ideas, is, is Wally, the, the Pixar movie. And Wally is set on the ship that the humans live on that have left Earth. Our game is set on the Earth that they've left behind. And that's kind of the easiest way to explain that. I also like the idea of Horizon Zero Dawn. I get that that's like a, a video game. It's hard to really draw that comparison, but... The, what they really tried to do there was have these robots become part of the ecosystem. And I think that that's an interesting design and theme to look at. And so we tried to apply that in, in our game as well, is that these, these robots that were left behind become an essential part of this rebuilding. And then a different video game that really inspired me with the world and the theme that we were going for is a game called One Shot. It's by Future Cat. Um, it's on Itch if you're uh, curious of looking it up. And it has these themes of like this kind of quiet world that you're looking to heal as the character playing. And I think I had actually just finished playing that video game when I was thinking about this concept of these robots trying to find free will in this regrown world. And I at least had some subconscious inspirations from that, pun intended. But I think that also helped me. Like, I, I went back and listened to the soundtrack when writing about the world. And it, it helped me really kind of get into the emotional state that I wanted to be in when we were developing this. I can definitely see the ties to WALL-E. Uh, if I think about the first scene, I think it's before they, they take off the planet and we see WALL-E uh, on Earth. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, if we imagine that spiraling out and the machines having an ecosystem. I may be wrong about this, but I think Wally, the rest of the robots may have shut down on Earth. Mm, yeah. I can't quite remember, but the idea is that, that Earth is still there and things have happened to it, but that doesn't mean it's gone. Right. Yeah, I think the, the really big inspiration, and I guess this is why we're talking to, to you as well, is Fort in the Dark. I think we've listed our two inspirations on uh, the itch page, which is Fortune Dark Games and Roll for Shoes. And if you've looked at a Roll for Shoes sheet, you can kind of see the influence in that as well. But we really wanted to look at position and effect and essentially come at it with a sledgehammer and then rebuild it and ask ourselves, you know, can we apply position and effect in our resolution mechanic? that doesn't involve the discussion beforehand, uh, but also allows players to engage with it in some way where as they apply actions in the fiction, those actions in the fiction will dramatically change the types of successes or consequences 
that we see as a result of this role. And really the way that we did that was to just include this little plus one mechanic where instead of having six possible outcomes for a role, or in, in Blade's case, there's three possible outcomes for the role. We had six, you could have seven. And depending on the way that the players engage with an action, uh, in our case, we call it a situational advantage. They, they essentially remove a major consequence. So if, the, if a player comes into a situation with an advantage, then there's no possible way that they could get a major consequence. It's like coming in as a risky action or a controlled action, right? If you come in and set yourself up well, you're not going to get a desperate consequence out of the result, right? And then we also ask, well, can this situational advantage also give them uh, possibly a better position moving forward, right? And the way that we kind of ascribed that was saying, hey, if you succeed really well in this role and you also had a, a situational advantage, which requires that you roll a seven on this uh, on this die, you actually pass on that advantage to another bot. It's like increasing your position for the whole group. Very cool, very cool. This is a way for you to reframe that the outcome table and really bring what you want out of the mechanics. That's really cool. Yeah, and we shifted things around to make sure that, you know, Blades in the Dark is a harsh setting. We didn't want this to be harsh, so there's more chances for characters to succeed and... You know, there's less consequences coming their way, but, uh, you know, it's still that same... Like, we started off with position effect and eventually morphed it into what's currently on the, the sheet. Yeah, so your game seems to feature some utopian themes alongside this apocalyptic setting. Uh, your game is also about being robots stuck in a programmed loop and breaking out of that. How does your game achieve that? We use a mechanic in this game called the while loop and this is in essence the actions that you will do in order that maintain the same order rather than just choosing an action off a set of actions so for an example how it's laid out on the character sheet we have motion surveil compute and vocalize and, and they're called functions and so if you use your motion action the next action you have to use is your surveil and then compute and then vocalize and then back to motion. And so this programmed loop that we as the game creators have set in and said the players have to do this is the player's experience of following pre-programmed directives, which the bots themselves in the fiction follow from the humans that originally programmed them. And there's chances to jump around this loop using something we, we call random access memory or RAM. There's chances to reorganize this loop, but maintaining a particular order of functions or actions is the way we create the experience of playing as a programmed bot rather than playing as something or someone with free will. Yeah, and I think for this mechanic, we really wanted to play with the idea of authorship, right? If you consider, you know, games like Dungeons and Dragons, like in that case, the GM asks for an action, right? You will make, like the GM will ask you, can you roll a perception roll or a perception check? And so in that case, the authorship of the action is the GMs, right? In, in a game like Blades, we specifically give that authorship to the players, right? The GM puts an obstacle out in front of the players and then the players 
decide what action they're going to use to overcome that obstacle. In this game, we ask, like, what if we just give the authorship to the game? Why don't we take that away from both the GM and the player and say, you can't decide what action you're going to do. The action that you have access to is there. You need to either come up with a creative solution about how you might use compute to, you know, save someone falling off a building. So you could use motion to fly up there and grab the person, but you only have access to compute. So, so what are you going to do? Or I think uh, Garen and I discussed this previously, and I'll let him explain it. I think it encourages teamwork as well. Yeah, I, I like that while you are limited in your actions, the people or the robots that you're working with are potentially at a different point or their loop looks different than yours. And so it moves away from, I think, rather than the typical trope of, you know, each player being good at a particular thing, each player is good at a particular thing in that moment because you're at a different point in that loop. And so we're hoping that this really encourages strong teamwork and, and collaboration within the game itself because you can go, okay, where's everybody on their loop? We need to do this now. What actions do you have? and who can do well. And I think that's one of the exciting parts of the game is you're regrowing and you're, you're experiencing this regrowth of Earth, but you're doing it together. And, and I think playing collaboratively, even just outside of design, has always been really important to us as players, um, as GMs. Yeah, and we really hope that this like ties the theme of the game back to the mechanic that the players are going to be interacting with. Right, the game is about being a programmed robot looking for ways to gain free will. And if the main mechanic of the game limits your free will, we feel like that's really trying to tie all of this stuff together into a little package. Oh, well, yeah, it's like Factorio, but for action scenes, right? <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> and each of you is in control of a different component. So, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I'll create raw materials, but you need to be uh, with the belt on the other side to deliver that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, you all use your action and then it's uh, the Mad Hatter of everyone changing places as the, you know, the next thing they can do. <laughs> right, and rebooting in the middle of a scene is not a possibility. As you said, it takes years, right, to do the reboot. Yeah, I mean, it's completely up to the players in that case. Like, they could, they could just decide that they're over with the current situation and all reboot right there. But yeah. then when they come back 20 years later, whatever they left there those things would have manifested and then yeah. the results of that they'll they'll come into yeah this is to give up on a mission thing but instead you're giving up on the world for a while yeah yeah i think that's a great way you're to like, say yeah, it let's we'll let it go yeah we'll just see what happens <laughs> and in a lot of ways you know it's it's tough to play to see what happens when you're in the moment but this really gives uh, the players some power that they don't have in some ways to allow the world to spiral out and to see you know, let's just see how that how that rolls out. Yeah, I, I mean, the example for me is like one of the protocols, which are like the goals of the game is to, in very brief words, is like to let nature take over some structure. And so the players could just walk in, plant a tree, reboot 50 years later, that tree has grown through that building. You know, they get to see that that result right away if they want to. Yeah, I think one of the most important questions we've asked on this sheet is at the end of the reboot paragraph is what happened over X years. Like having that discussion about what you've done 
and how it's affected. And and we're talking about the like consequences, but I also love the idea, kind of related to what I was saying earlier, of what if good things have happened and you get right. to experience, you know, what what you hoped you could get. Yeah, it's not just about consequences. It's also about the effects that are occurring. Uh, I really like that. Uh, it seems like there's been some consequences that have occurred in the setting already. <laughs> One of the things I want to highlight about your game is the uh, fantastic audio files. That they, they seem to be the, the bulk of the fiction for your setting. Does that sound accurate? I want to make sure I get that right before I... Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the, the main way that people can interact with the setting other than playing. Right. And, and you have a video as well, which accompanies the audio. Uh, when I first got my hands on the prototype, it was just audio. So how essential do you feel that, that these setting elements are to the experience of playing a game? You know, it's, it's never necessary to really read through, or, or in our case, listen through this, this setting example, right? If you're going in sitting with a group, it's very easy for the GM to bring you up to speed. I don't think we're providing a setting that's too far out of scope for someone to just come in and say, hey, it's kind of like Wally, but what if everything's regrowing and you're the robots and you're trying to help? But the recording is very short and I think it gives you a good introduction into the space. So we would love if people could listen to it and that's why it's in included uh, in the downloads and also just on the website there is a video. The video itself is just a recording with the transcript pasted on there so, so you can read through as well at the same time. But really the reason why we went to this audio form was limited space. If you have one page and on one page you need to include both the rules and the character sheet, you don't have a lot of room to put settings in. And so we were like, you know, this might require us approaching this from a different medium. And I mean, Garrett knows this as well. I, I really like writing music. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe I could write a music piece for this and then we could have a recording over the top of it that's kind of like an introduction to the world and that recording is done in fiction and hopefully that like aligns the players with what they're expected to do moving forward i can let garrett talk about the the actual message that's in it but i think like the audio production and just having a different piece of media that people can interact with is just is is fun for us in perspective you know we like branching out to the things that aren't just words written on a page. I was just curious if this came from the, the design jam. Was this a limitation that you placed on yourself or was this part of the Applied Hope Jam? No, we, we placed this limitation on ourselves. The Applied Hope Jam, it, it takes um, RPGs of any size, but we thought it would be interesting to create this micro RPG and, and see what we could do with that. And after we, we kind of put a prototype together, it felt pretty good. I don't really know how else to describe it, but there's actually, there's actually a very funny story that just represents how hard of a worker Cohen is, is that we had discussed this idea. I think it was about a Thursday afternoon, and then I had a lot of work Friday, so I was kind of shut out, and then it was Saturday morning. He had sent me like a fairly well-done prototype of this, and I was blown away. And obviously, we've made a lot of changes to it since then, but that initial idea of like let's put it on one page and and see how much we can get out of it it just ended up working i think at the start and so we stuck with it i'm reminded a lot of early video game development 
Uh, I follow this a lot. Um, I actually got into computers when I was a teenager, and so in the 90s was when I was learning about technology. And I remember now when I look back on like developers that did the early Nintendo games and Atari games, a lot of their ingenuity came from this restricted space of memory constraints, you know, how much can they fit on the cartridge, you know? Yeah. And so I'm reminded of that a lot. Sometimes restricting yourself can breed creativity. I think it definitely helped us grow as developers because with this limited space, when we were discussing, say, writing about particular rules or explaining features of the game, or as we were talking about discussing the world building, we had to ask ourselves, what is the most critical parts? What do we want the players to know? And how can we say that in a concise yet clear manner? That was almost a lot of fun. I think that sounds like a blast. Uh, what do you hope your game is saying to the player? The game in itself, we've talked about the themes of it, of this being like a game about regrowth and healing. But the game actually functions by the players having a preset number of goals already available on the sheet. And so we call these protocols in the game. And these protocols talk about different goals or different ideas that the players can pursue. And I think in pre-writing these things for the players, we're really pushing them towards trying to focus on regrowth and healing. Yeah, so one of our, one of our protocols is help a community overcome a significant hurdle. And I mean, it's very vague. Like you can come up with a lot of examples in this case. Our most recent playtest was a, a skyscraper falling down with a community that uh, resided on top of this skyscraper. Uh, that's where they were living. And so the robots in that had to try and stop or, in, or maybe relocate this community. And so uh, you can see like a significant hurdle that the players need to overcome, but it's not something that's traditional, like go find the big bad guy and stop the big bad guy, right? And then things like create art and witness it as time passes. Right? That's not a goal that you usually see in RPGs. Right? How would these players create art? How would robots create art? And that's a question that you can ask with your friends. And so I think this kind of aligns the players to, to what they're really trying to do. I'm also I'm a big fan of like deep philosophical questions that don't really have an answer. And so the question of what is free will, like what, what actually defines free will ran through my mind the entire time we were making this and by by no means do i think we've answered that question but i always like that we when developing these protocols kind of touched on what are the differences that may exist between the perceived free will of a robot and the perceived free will of a human and, and we've tried to aim towards that while also keeping them realistic playable goals i think you know not answering what free will is Right off, you know, that, that's, that's perfect. This will allow that to be defined more in play. There's a textbook definition, right? But, you know, that's, that's boring. We want to know what this means in play and what this means as well as to our robots. You know, I think that's really interesting space to play with. The decision tree available to the player that we have no choice but to feel like we're part of the subroutine, like we're locked into the subroutine a little bit uh, to start with. And I think that's a fun, a fun way to create a motivation from a player that, you know, otherwise wouldn't normally have, because usually they just choose whatever they want to do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, 
exactly what we're going for. And as a side part, I was hoping, I think we were hoping that these would also just help define what the whole game might look like for someone running it is, is it gives you kind of uh, ideas to start off a situation. Yeah, you could really use the reboot mechanic as well in this case to be like, try and attempt one goal, and then when you guys finish that, you can reboot, and then the next thing is in front of you ready to go, uh, and so on and so forth. So it really, like, you can pace it out however you want. And I think we've designed this game, if you want to skip past it and, and move really fast, you can, you know, do the first protocol or move on and do another protocol and, you know, play this game in maybe two sessions. Or you can really sit down and ask yourself, like, do we want to play this game for five sessions and see what we can do? Like really explore out what these types of protocols mean to us. You know, what, what does this goal mean and, and how do our bots interact with both the mechanic in which they're stuck only picking the action that's assigned to them uh, and them struggling with the idea of free will? Something that I feel that as designers we've always strived for is a game someone else can pick up and enjoy and so with a one page rpg you don't get a ton of space to strictly define what the world is or strictly define every single mechanic that could possibly come up but what we're really hoping out of this game is that we've provided the base that you can take and just have a fun night or have a fun set of nights like at the end of the day if it's enjoyed it's good I love the idea that you can, I mean, you can go to the itch page, download the game, print out the sheets because we've got printable sheets, play the video for your friends and be like, hey, this is your homework. It's less than three minutes long. And then you all turn up together and sit down and just play this game. Like you're ready to go. I think that's fun. Yeah, this is a, a fantastically streamlined production in, in that sense. Like, it's not like you have a giant team of video people. No, we've got a short video. Uh, it's to the point, and it gets you into the milieu, the, the mood for the setting. I really enjoyed that, you know, that you could pick it up and pretty much figure out what's going on with, a, you know, just the two pages of reading. I'm glad to hear you enjoyed the video. I, that's one of my favorite parts about it. Oh, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of games that are going to follow suit and start to include more videos for their tabletop games. It's untapped potential because many designers don't think to do that unless they've got a lot of like money for production basically i mean it's in the name for us we don't have a lot of money for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so you've shown yeah. us how poor students can you know, get, can get something <laughs> yeah. done. if poor students can do it <laughs> yeah but yeah i think that we have these media to publish games now online and with the whole pandemic situation, so much of RPG is moving online. Uh, we use, for example, Roll20 for a long time to start playing. And I think that these other resources, rather than pen, paper, dice, and a table, are starting to be explored. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what resources are further used by game designers to promote, present, or play their game. Yeah, I mean, we all love sitting around the table, yeah, know, no face-to-face, -face, rolling some dice, right? Everyone loves that. So, so do we. Yeah, but we also like a good jam on while we're making a character. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. But I think, like, you know, if you if you limit yourself somehow or ask yourself, like, is there potential for a different space that I can look at? You can, you know, you get to, like, pick a mechanic and explore that to its full extent. 
you know, I feel like we've done that. We've decided on a mechanic, which was restricted actions, and we explored it within a theme to the extent of what we can. And then we've looked at like other places, like, you know, if we have an audio medium, how can we explore that as part of our game? You know, we can write a song. And I know not everyone writes music, but there's people around that are happy to write music for your little RPG project. Like, I'd be one of them. I'm sure there's lots of people in the Discord that would also love that, too. Yeah, I'm also a, a producer, audio producer and musician. So, yep, there's, I'm sure there's plenty like us who are just, they, they want to be creative, too. So definitely reach out to your community and ours, which you are a part of if you're listening to this. Come on over to the Discord and uh, introduce yourself and say hello and see what we're up to. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I've, I dropped a, a bunch of designs of subconscious routine on the Discord and got feedback from that as well. Um, so it's always great to, to interact with everyone on the Blades in the Dark Discord. Yeah, there's no shortage of helpful designers over there and very talented people as well. So one of the things that was interesting to me was that you mentioned one of the protocols being to save the community. Yeah. Yeah, so also it seems that almost all of humanity has disappeared. So these communities, uh, that seems to imply to me that the communities are super important. Does that seem right? Yeah, I think they're like few and far between. We say that, you know, almost all of humanity disappeared. And I don't think we ever give a reason why. Uh, and it's up to you guys when you're playing it to decide how they disappeared. I like to think it's like the, uh, the elves in Lord of the Ring. They just all got on boats and went away. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, these, these protocols let you look at or interact with parts of the game that I think players don't normally interact with. And the idea of having these like small parts of humanity as well that the, your robots can interact with is fun, right? You could imagine helping out a community and then rebooting and you come back and, you know, the child that was there that you helped out 50 years ago is now, you know, grown up and the leader of this community and, you know, knows you from back then and is happy to help you out now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get these, like, fun interactions because the robots themselves don't need to really conform to that lifetime. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I'm curious to know which one of you, or maybe both of you, is their, their major is programming. I mean, neither of us... Neither one. Yeah, neither of us do programming. I've done wow. a little bit of hobby programming, which is where a lot of this comes from uh, in the case of design. Like, I think officially I only learned Python, but again, just as a, as a hobby... But I'm sure someone with more experience like yourself could see the jumble of different programming languages that I used. I mean, we really kind of went for, we wanted it to be semi-readable, but also following that design of the, uh, you know, it looks like code. Um, and I think that's, that's part of things that happen in like many people interact with like programming editors or like code editors is they have these like highlighted words or like important things like it will highlight a, a value for you or it'll highlight a variable for you and so we try to use that to be like hey this is an important part of the game like functions is highlighted and then when you read through the rest of the text you'll see that's also highlighted. It's like this is what we're referring to trying to make it as readable as possible in that condensed space yeah i got i got some c plus plus vibes so that's why i was uh, from the do while you know, and... Um, I, I think I went through and uh, looked up a whole bunch of images of code and found the things that I could, like, pick from them that made it readable and also made it look look how it is. Yeah, I have essentially no coding experience, so I just decided to trust Cohen. And I thought 
coming from outside that space to me it looked understandable and i thought the like the art and the whole visual aspect of it looked really cool and so i think we actually combined well on that because he wrote this as a computer program but i was the double check to say hey you know nothing about computers is this even a, a reasonable output and i thought it was yeah i was gonna say it's a really great check or balance to this to the whole thing you know having the outsider perspective like if both of you were coders it would be tough to step back and say is this readable <laughs> yeah you know, and yeah. so i think that's a, actually a benefit i think it's a positive that that neither one of you are really too deep into coding to <laughs> step back and have this perspective of like the, the lay person be able to read it yeah i think it was definitely more of a aesthetic choice uh, to go with this yeah i think the aesthetic the aesthetic has always been really important to us because it was it was about relating the aesthetic to the world building and then relating the world building back to the aesthetic. So the whole design of the character sheet and the pages, the design of the video, we, we wanted it to put you in the space, the fiction that this game exists in. Where can people find subcon poor students dot MP3? <laughs> so if you want to listen to the video or, or the audio, uh, number one you're more than welcome to ping me on the discord and i'll send you stuff but you can go directly to uh, the subconscious routine itch.io page by going to tiny.cc slash subcon or you can go uh, to our itch page which is poorstudents.itch.io and that'll take you directly to uh, and then you can click on subconscious routine there the audio is in the video file just on that page so if you click play on the youtube video there you can listen to it uh, but you can also download uh, the game and the, the PDFs, including a fillable PDF, a printable PDF, uh, both the the audio and separately the song by itself if you just want to listen to that song. Um, and that's all available on the itch.io page as well for a pay-what-you-want price. Well, that's very generous of you. Uh, you both put in some substantial work on the, the game and to give it pay-what-you-want. We're hoping that our listeners will uh, feel that it's worthwhile to give you some money. Yeah, I mean, we just really want people to have a look at it, like download it and play it. That's that's our main goal, right? We're not really interested in becoming less poor students right now. But... <laughs> I think um, we've accepted that won't happen for a while. Yeah. The ship has sailed, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we just want people to play the game. That's it. Like, have a look at it. Even if you even if you're not sitting down to play it with some friends, like pull it up. Have a look at it, read through it. If if it inspires you to do something similar, then go ahead. Like, uh, it's just something that we're happy to share with the community, and we really like just like getting new things out there, getting new ideas out there. It doesn't get much more noble than that, and I would expect no less from those participating in solar punk and utopia jams. <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, we see more out of you too in the future. This is a very evocative and creative thing that you've done here. So I want to thank you both for joining me today and for all of your insights and comments. We've heard where we can learn more about your games. If you want to plug your personal like social media, uh, anything like that, go ahead and do that. Uh, we have a Twitter that we've just recently started, but we'll hopefully be posting on more about the games we're developing. And that's uh, twitter.com slash poorstudentsrpg. And yeah, you can also find us on the itch page. Very cool. Uh, I'll go ahead and plug that Applied Hope Jam. It, the link will be in the description below. 
Yeah, we'd love everyone to check out the Applied Hope Jam. There's a couple of, like, there's some great designs on there. A bunch of stuff as well that you can just uh, print and play too, which I think is great. All right. And it's been a pleasure bringing you another episode from uh, the Hacked in the Dark podcast network. We are the best place to hear about new Forged in the Dark games and their designers. We're getting a large number of downloads and plays compared to previous months. We appreciate you, and we just want to remind you that if you've gotten this far, to go ahead and follow and subscribe and share this to your friends who might also enjoy it. My name's Mark. I've been your host. And remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as hacks in the dark. Okay, good. This is on. Aaron, I think the machines are evolving. Even all the way out here, the bots are acting weird. Spent all these months monitoring them and never seen anything like this. The world is going to change. Again. Ever since our parents could remember, the bots have followed their directives. Repeating the same task over and over, never deviating. Always the same routine. But now they're changing. Maybe gaining a new directive. They're trying to overcome their programming. I see repair bots building houses and combat bots tending to animals. Like they're making their own decisions. Maybe you'll understand more when you're older or by the time you hear this. So our parents taught us that humanity built that sphere around the sun. And the recordings I've heard said that it feeds the machines. These machines were the tools of the ancient people, and they used them to create this metal world around us. The machines from those stories are the bots we live with today. But those ancient people left, and I still can't find any record of why. Almost all of them departed, and the shreds of humanity that were left behind, our ancestors, were forced to keep surviving in that new world, now dominated by the machines. I've seen pictures of the world before the Great Departure, and it looked completely different. That sphere around the sun was still intact, and covered it entirely. Plants never having access to sunlight couldn't grow. Even after nature grew back and those metal structures fell, the bots still followed their routines. But now, what if the machines can act for themselves? What will happen to what is left of our society, our family? How will the world look? Build with bots that can create or destroy their of their own volition. Who knows what will happen to us? Maybe we'll have to leave the planet as well, and if so, what will we leave behind? Oh hey, if our old repair bot, Zarno 2 gains consciousness, maybe they'll have something more interesting to say. Hey, maybe they'll be our friend. I'm headed to the dam now. I'll leave another recording for you there. I hope I can come back soon. I'm thinking of you.